Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you here with us this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us for worship. I want to, to begin with a, a few announcements this morning, but before I, I get into the announcements, let me first say uh, thank you to Todd and to Eric and Michael for uh, allowing me and my family to have the, the day off last Sunday. Um, I, I'm thankful to Todd. For Todd leading you in, in preaching God's word and, and feeding the, the flock with, with the word of the Lord. And so thank you to, to all three of you and, and for, for the church for letting us have that, that time away. It was needed and, and refreshing, so thank you. Uh, point your attention to a few things coming up this week uh, outlined in the bulletin. Monday, tomorrow, we have our Women's Fellowship meeting uh, at 7 at the Fellowship Hall. Tuesday, we have Growth Group. Uh, you, if you're part of the Tuesday group, you should receive an email from me yesterday about the plans for Tuesday. Um, if you didn't get that email, just let me know. If you're not a part of our, our growth groups but are interested or, or want to see what it's about, by all means, let me know. We, we would love to have you even just join us for, for a meeting just to see and get a feel for, for what it's like. Um, it's, it's a great time for fellowship and good food and just good discussion and prayer together. So come check it out if you haven't already. And then... Uh, at the end of this week, on Saturday, we have, uh, as you may be aware, our, our big missionary sale and supper. Uh, let me point a few things out to you real quick, and then I'll, if I don't, uh, if I miss anything, I'll let others fill in the gaps. We have sign-ups in the back for different things, different uh, slots of ways to serve, and we need those filled. Our missionary sale is, is going to be primarily, the, the food will be drive through so we'll have people coming through the parking lot, placing orders, picking up food. We'll have a sale, as long weather permitting, the sale will be under the shelter uh, starting at 3. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, starting at 3, and then the food, the drive-thru will start at 4. Uh, and so we need volunteers. We need help to, to serve in, in various ways. And all of those are outlined in the sign-ups in the Narthex. So if you haven't signed up, look over those lists, fill out a slot, take up a time slot so that we can get uh, have this well-staffed and taken care of. In addition to that, we have flyers printed out for the missionary sale. Take a stack. Take some with you this morning. Uh, pass them out to neighbors. Put them on telephone poles. Put them on uh, businesses, wherever you can, and, and we'll, we'll advertise as much as we're able to get the, the information out about the sale. Uh, am I missing anything about the missionary sale? Still need pound cakes, as all people do. Okay, so we've got a few more added th- this morning, but if you would like to make and bring a pound cake, please make and bring a pound cake because we like pound cake. <laughs> no pound cakes. Man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Any, anything else on the missionary sale? If you have any questions, uh, find Diane, find uh, Denise, find Eric, Beverly. They'll, they'll be able to help point you in the right direction. Um, my last, the last announcement I have is we, we got a letter this week from the Methodist Church in Mount Pleasant. Uh, as many of you know, they do a, Mount, a Thanksgiving community meal every year around Thanksgiving, but they have canceled that meal for this year. Uh, out, of, out of safety and precaution, they, they've decided that they will not be having that community Thanksgiving meal. So uh, just passing word along. Are there any other announcements this morning? Great. Well, as we begin our our service, uh, let me read to you from from Psalm 19. 
Uh, we have we have been reading stanzas of Psalm 119, uh, which uh, this long psalm that celebrates the goodness of God's law. And I want to now read to you the condensed version in Psalm 19. Another another praise of the law of God. This is what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. Nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping there, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray for us as we begin our, our worship service. Father, we thank you that we have this time to, to gather as your people and that we can gather in worship and praise to you. God, we readily admit the, the truthfulness of this psalm, that your word is good. Not only is it good, it is perfect and it is righteous and it is true. Help us to desire it more than fine gold. Help us to, to see that it is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. God, may our prayer this morning be that of Psalm 119, that, our, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's sing together this morning. Our, our first hymn is hymn 530, Faith of Our Fathers. Please stand and sing.
In the front of your hymnals is a copy of the Apostles' Creed. Now, starting back next week, we'll get back into our children's story and have our children come forward. But uh, for this morning, we will move straight from our hymn into our Apostles' Creed this morning. And the, the creed is there simply to remind us and give us an opportunity to profess aloud what it is we believe. And so I invite you this morning, church, if you believe it, to say the Apostles' Creed aloud with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. continue to sing with me. Our next hymn is hymn 499, He Leadeth Me. Thank you. 
Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I invite you at this time to grab a Bible, uh, whether it's one you brought or one on your phone or the blue one on the pew, and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Now, we have have been in this uh, book of the law that uh, we began way back earlier in this year, and we're here this morning looking at the 16th chapter. We will not finish Deuteronomy before year's end, and in fact, we will take a a break out of Deuteronomy for Advent, uh, which starts the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So we've got about three more Sundays here in Deuteronomy. We'll, We'll break for Advent and then return to Deuteronomy in the new year. But this morning, I want to look and read to you from Deuteronomy 16. We'll be looking at uh, beginning in verse 1, going all the way through verse 17. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God. From the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat, eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days. Nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day Remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you will give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who is among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the feast of booths seven days, when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your winepress. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the works of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Let us seek 
God's help and as we come to his word this morning. Father, this morning we come to your word and we ask for help. I, I ask for help. God, would you send your spirit to your people this morning? That as we read and study your law, as we read and study your word, that your spirit would open our eyes to see it. That you would give us divine illumination, that we would see your word and understand it and know it to be true and believe it. And that our lives would be changed by belief in it. Help me, Father, to make much of Christ. Speak your word faithfully and boldly that your name would be glorified in the preaching and the reading, the hearing, the believing of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. What's your favorite holiday? I mean, here we are at the beginning of the the holiday season. Thanksgiving is upon us. Christmas songs are already playing. Christmas trees are out for purchase. Uh, And whether or not you agree with the timing, it it is still upon us. But what what of all the holidays that we celebrate every year, which one would you say is your favorite, the one you look forward to the most? And, And why? What is it about this particular holiday that draws you in? Maybe it's what the holiday represents. So you could say Christmas and say, well, Christmas is because of the birth of Jesus, our Savior. And so Christmas is my favorite. Or maybe it's how you celebrate. I mean, Thanksgiving we certainly have to be up there for this reason alone. We get to stuff our faces with delicious food all day long. Of course it's going to be up there as a, as a possible favorite. Or maybe it's a memory you have of, of a past holiday where you celebrated with, with family and friends and, and there's just something about that particular, that year that you celebrate it's that, that carries over into all the other years. I mean, typically we, we think of holidays as, as cultural. These are, they, they, they belong to us. They are ours. Sometimes they're, they're national, sometimes they're religious, sometimes they're cultural. But, but in the Old Testament, God actually gives his people holidays. He says there are, there are seven feasts throughout the Old Testament that are given to Israel that God says these are appointed for you to keep always. And this morning in Deuteronomy 16, we are given three of them. The, the three big ones, you, you might say. Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. Or, or Tabernacles, as it's, as it's referred to in other places. But the main point that I want to, I want to get across to you from, from Deuteronomy 16 this morning, the, the main idea here is that the festivals of Israel, these three festivals, are fulfilled in Jesus. And as we look back on them, we, we are reminded of the past works that God has done. And they also encourage us in our anticipation for the future works that God has promised he will do. Because, you see, that's really what a holiday is. A holiday is a holy day that points us back to some event in the past while we wait anxiously for some event in the future. And so let me, let's quickly look here at, the, at what these, these three uh, festivals, these feasts, represent, represented to Israel in the past. 
So first you have Passover. And, and in Deuteronomy 16, they, they combine two of the, the seven feasts into one. You have Passover and unleavened bread all combined together into one here in Deuteronomy. Because Passover, as you, as you may remember from Sunday school as a child, Passover was a one-day, one-night event. It happened. It was one meal. You celebrated the Passover meal. But unleavened bread was the week following the Passover. And so if we handle these one at a time, we could recap Passover very quickly. Going back to the book of Exodus, we have Israel stuck in slavery in Egypt. They are lost and without hope. Until God sends Moses and Aaron as as Moses' speaker, and God begins performing these incredible signs, the the ten plagues. We have the, the water turning to blood. We have frogs and boils. We have hail. We have darkness, all of which culminate in the tenth and final plague. The death of the firstborn. God said he was going to send the the angel of death. He was going to send the destroyer across Egypt in the night. And this destroyer was going to go into each and every home, both Israel and Egyptian, and kill the firstborn child, the firstborn son. But God said there's a way of protection. There's a way of rescue for Israel. Take a lamb, a year-old lamb, spotless, without blemish, without defect, without broken bone, and sacrifice this lamb, and then take the blood of the lamb and, and put it on the doorpost of your home. And then when the destroyer sees the blood on your doorpost, he will pass over your home, leaving your firstborn children, your firstborn son, untouched and unharmed. And it was celebrated, the reason that we have here in Deuteronomy that it's observed the month of Abib. Abib was the, the first month of the year. It was there in January, which for us now it's, it's more March and April. It, it, it fluctuates. But, but God essentially, the reason that it was in the first month of the Jewish calendar was because God in Passover is hitting reset. He says, I'm starting things new with you. And the first of every year is going to begin with Passover. You're going to be reminded every new year. Of what God did for you in Egypt. You're going to be reminded of of this Passover event. How God saved you every year. And to celebrate this every year annually. Israel would gather together. It says at the place the Lord will choose. They would gather in Jerusalem at the temple. And they brought the sacrifice of a spotless lamb. Just like their ancestors did in Egypt. And right at evening. Right at sunset. At the time that they came out and they left Egypt. They would eat this lamb, and they would enjoy it, and they would eat it in the presence of the Lord. And they would eat all of it, so that there was no leftovers in the morning. I mean, here is a, a yearly reminder for Israel of, of, that God alone saved them. That it is only by His grace that He saved them. And He saved them by substituting something else in their place. A lamb for their child. You may wonder, why, why in the world would God command them to remember this every year? Why would this? It wasn't just, hey, this was fun, let's do this again next year. But it was divinely commanded, you will keep this every single year. Why? I mean, the truth is, is that Israel, and, and we include ourselves in this, we are forgetful people. I mean, we are, we are so forgetful that we forget how forgetful we really are. 
You see, the Passover, starting every year with this Passover event, was a way for Israel to never forget. You will never forget that God saved you this way. You will never forget that he brought you out of Israel, out of Egypt, this, in this manner. You will never forget that a lamb died in place of you. Ever. And the reason that they must not forget Passover more than anything else is because their very identity was wrapped up in it. Without the Passover celebration, without the events of Exodus, without the, the, pass, the first Passover, Israel would still be lost in Egyptian slavery. They would never have come out. They would never have been, been called God's people. They would have never had a national identity other than slaves. But because of Passover, God brought them out. And it was because of Passover God could say, you will be my people, my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. All because of what God had done in Passover. And this was who they were. This was their identity. And this identity was founded not in something that Israel had done or agreed to do. This identity was founded in what God had done for them. So they celebrated the Passover to remember this is who we are because of this is what God has done. But this was just a one-night thing. Immediately following, the week following Passover, you had the week of unleavened bread. And because Israel left Egypt in such a hurry, I mean, Pharaoh, in, in anger, he lost his firstborn son. He told Israel, get out now. I don't want to see you in the morning. And so Israel frantically grabbed all their things. I mean, God even told them, when you eat the Passover meal, eat it with your shoes on because you're going to be out the door as soon as you finish it. And, and so they didn't have time to make bread for the journey. They didn't have time to get meals prepared and, and ready and packed and, and put in Ziploc bags and Tupperware so that it would last for their trip through the wilderness. No, they, they simply just had to grab whatever they could find and go. And one of the things they grabbed was a lump of dough that had not had the time to rise with no, no leavening agent in it. It was simply unleavened bread. As many of you maybe bread makers know, you have to let bread sit untouched without children stomping through the house. I remember my grandmother yelling at me and my brother constantly when she would make raisin bread. Because here we come pouncing and trouncing through this house and shaking every window pane and every cabinet door. And she would come out and be like, get outside, leave the house. You're not allowed in here until this is done. But, but as they fled Egypt, Israel grabbed unleavened bread, not having time to put yeast in it, not having time to let it sit and rise. They took the bread with them. And so every year, to remember this hastily exit from Egypt, they would remove all leaven from their home. Not, not, just, not just eat unleavened bread. If you ever had unleavened bread, well, we, we kind of eat it every week, but it's not very tasteful. It, it's, it's not good. And so Israel would spend an entire week where they would not eat, not only would they not eat unleavened bread, they would not have any sort of leavening agent inside their home at all. So they would spend days and weeks leading up to this Passover and leading up to the week of unleavened bread, and they would go through every cabinet, every pantry, every corner of their house, removing anything and everything that had leaven in it. Any yeast, any baking soda, any baking powder, anything that caused anything else to rise has got to go. And not only just cleaning out the big stuff, because that would have been easy. 
They're cleaning out every crumb, every spilled drop in the back of the pantry, everything that got underneath that fridge or in that crack between the cabinets. It's got to go. Scouring the house on hand and foot for days and weeks, making sure that every single ounce of leaven is gotten out of the house. Every bread, every cake, every pancake, every waffle, every cereal, anything and everything that had leavening leavening agent in it, it's gone. Why? Why was this the, the celebration? Well, throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are told that leaven represents sin. Leaven represents sin. That God rescued Israel from Egypt. They were commanded to get their things and get out. To leave quickly in haste. And, and in doing this, they left all of Egypt behind them. To leave the leaven and the sins of Egypt in Egypt. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread was this call for Israel to remove all sin from their households. Every crumb, every trace, every scent, every smell... All of it gone. To be pure and holy and undefiled before God. This leaven represented that. But you see, it'd be easy to remove the big sins. We could go in and throw out the loaves of bread. We could go in and grab the Cheerio box and get rid of those. The big piles of leaven from the pantry of our hearts, so to speak. But it's the crumbs. It's the residue. The, the hidden, the, the little pieces that are hidden in the shadows that, that escape our sights. You see, these are the ones that, that cause the most damage. These are the sins that, as, as Scripture t- teaches us, a little leaven, even the smallest bit of leaven, leavens the whole lump. And so it is with sin. Even the smallest little crumb of sin, the smallest trace can work its way through your entire heart and leaven the whole thing. So Israel celebrated the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread like this. They did it every year. And then we have the feast of weeks. Now the feast of weeks is given is called just that because of how it was marked on the calendars. We see in Deuteronomy in, in verse nine, you shall count seven weeks. And so they did. This, this was a significant feast that it celebrated two things that God had done for Israel. First, the, the grain harvest. Seven weeks after the harvest began, Israel was, was to gather at Jerusalem in, at the temple and present this free will offering to the Lord, praising him for his faithful provision. Look at all that God has given us in the crop this year. Look at his provision. Look at this harvest. Thank you. There was no specifications on what to give or how to give here in Deuteronomy 16. The command was just give. And we give because God has given the harvest. God has provided faithfully. He he has given us all of this. And so Israel was commanded to give back in worship. To say to the Lord, this is yours, which you have graciously given to us. Thank you. 
And we notice that social class or standing is not a factor in, in what is given or who is excluded or included from this. I mean, it says that you, your son, your daughter, your male and female servants, the Levite, the outsider, the orphan, the widow, everyone from top to bottom is included and commanded to come and celebrate this Feast of Weeks. And to do this, they give. We see in verse 16 that giving was so crucial not only to this festival but also to the Feast of Booths that Deuteronomy says, no one shall appear before the Lord empty-handed. And it seems, it seems unfair to say. I mean, no one, even, even those that are poor, that have nothing, they, they, are not, they cannot get a pass on this. But God says very clearly, no one must come before the Lord empty-handed. Because when we show up to the Lord, when we show up empty-handed in this festival celebrating His provision, we are saying to the Lord, You've given me nothing, so I have nothing to give in return. This is what Israel would have done if they had come to the Lord with with nothing in their hands. God hasn't done anything for me. He's, He's not provided for me. He's not given anything. I have nothing from him, so I have nothing to give to him. It's a lie. It will it will never be true, even of the poorest among the poor, to say I have nothing from the Lord. I can't help but think of the widow that Jesus watched in the temple. I mean, Jesus is sitting there in front of the treasury, and he's watching people bring their offerings and put them into the treasury box, putting in their gifts. And in Mark 12, it says that many rich people put in large sums. And then a poor widow came, and she put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all, than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. See, I think we get so caught up in, in what percentage we are to give to the Lord, what, what amount or what, how much we are to give, as if, as if God needed or depended upon our giving to sustain him. He doesn't. Let me just clear the air. God doesn't need your gifts. He doesn't. He's not dependent on them. He doesn't require them. It's not for his good. But it's for your good. Because when you and I give, we recognize that he is the one who has met our needs. Not that we are meeting his. We don't just give out of abundance. Well, God, I have this left over, so here you go. No, but we give like the widow, even if it was all we had to live on. We give because we believe that God will continue to provide. He will continue to give. He will continue to meet needs. Even if I'm down to my last penny, God will still provide for me. So the Feast of Weeks celebrates the the grain harvest. Second, it also celebrates the giving of the law. It took Israel about 50 days to travel out of Egypt and make it to Mount Sinai. And and every year they celebrated these events together as one people, rejoicing at the covenant that that made them the people of God, the the law of God. I mean, imagine imagine a, a festival that's essentially just a party because God had given you his law. Every year you gathered together as your people and said, God is good. Look at all the rules he gave us. 
I mean, it seems outrageous, doesn't it? In, in a day and age, in a culture like ours, where how dare you tell me what to do, is the, it seems to be the phrase of the day every day. Here's a people that celebrated every year the law of God. Look what God gave us. Look at this good gift. I think too often we consider the law of God to be this oppressive burden that no one can ever be expected to keep. It's, it's this restrictive set of do's and don'ts. It, it binds us in. That God's restricting our happiness and restricting our joy. And he gives us this standard that no one can ever possibly expect to live up to. It's unfair and unjust. But here's the thing. Israel never viewed the law of God this way, ever. I mean, you read through, through the Psalms, for example, and just hear the way that the, the Israel, the psalmist, sings songs to God specifically about his law. So Psalm 19, which I read to you to begin with. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. More to be desired are they than gold, sweeter than the honeycomb. Psalm 94. Blessed is the man whom you teach out of your law. Psalm 111. The works of God's hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments. Psalm 119, having my eyes on your commandments, I will praise you. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Your testimonies are my delight, O Lord. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Behold, I long for your precepts. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Oh, how I love your law. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your testimonies are wonderful. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. And I could go on and on, but I think you get the picture. Israel loved the law of God. Loved it. Delighted in it. Yearned for it. Craved it. They saw the the word of God as this treasure to embrace. As a a sweetness to taste. this, This book to celebrate in and rejoice over together as God's people. I wonder how many of us would say the same about ourselves. When's the last time you would describe your heart towards God's law as something you pant over, craving, desiring, longing for, yearning? Several years ago, there was a video released from Asia uh, where this secret shipment of Bibles had finally made it to an under, underground church in a country that was aggressive to the gospel. And, and not only did they outlaw churches, but they persecuted, arrested, and even killed anyone found to be gathered as a church. And here's, here's this, this church, this group of believers that they have, they have no Bibles for themselves. It's, the Bible is contraband. It's illegal to possess. And yet this, this shipment of Bibles finally makes it through and arrives at this church. And they, they filmed this opening of this book, of this, this giant box of, of little personal Bibles. And the church is all gathered around it, and the tape, the tape is cut, and they open it up. And it is, you would have 
thought you were watching this video of Black Friday shoppers at Walmart fighting over the last toy. I mean, they, they rushed this box and just grabbing and grabbing and grabbing, getting, getting whatever hands they can because they have so longed to have one of these books for themselves. And I remember in this video, out of the, the fray, this, this young girl had, had grabbed a Bible. This young woman had finally grabbed one. And she takes it, and all the people are still scrambling, and she turns, and she comes out of the crowd, and she comes out of the Bible, and she's just hugging it. She has got it clenched to her chest, and she's got her eyes closed, and she is crying and smiling and just rejoicing over this book. Because she finally had the Word of God in her hands. Finally, it's here. I've got it. After years of longing for it, of just craving it and saying, I just want this. And here it is, and just holding it so tightly. I mean, how many of us do that? With the book that we have collecting dust on our shelves week after week after week. I mean, do you not see the treasure that sits there on your lap? Do you, do you not cherish and embrace this book? you know what it is? Do you believe this to be the actual word of the Lord? And why do you scorn it? Why do you leave it at home unread? Israel had this yearly festival. Every year they gathered together to remind each other of the wonderful gift that the law of God was. May we not be so quick to forget what a gift it is. Then you have the, finally, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Third feast, this occurred uh, at the end of of the later harvest. So the early harvest would have been the Feast of Weeks, the later harvest in the fall, after the grapes and the wheat have all kind of been gathered. It's very similar to the Feast of Weeks. It celebrated the, the provision of the Lord, and it included, once again, all social classes, Son, daughter, servants, Levites, widows, orphans, everybody. But the Feast of Booths, what separated this from the Feast of Weeks is that it was different in both purpose and in practice. Because, you see, the purpose of the Feast of Booths was to remind Israel of the wilderness years. Where where Booth, this, this Booth is, in Hebrew, can also be called tabernacles, which we might translate as tents. Because it was a a time to remember, a week to remember the 40 years that they spent wandering the wilderness in tents, in booths, in tabernacles, longing for the promised land, for home. And it was a, a trying time. God was faithful to his promises, and eventually he brings Israel into the promised land as he promised. And so to practice this celebration, all of Israel, from from one border to the other, all of Israel would come to Jerusalem and they spent a week living in tents. Living like their ancestors did in the wilderness. Now, I'm curious. If we decided to celebrate this this festival in the exact same manner, and you know what? For the next week, we're all going to come and we're going to set up tents out right behind the fellowship hall and we're going to live all together as one big nation in tents for a week. No RVs. We're not using the inside of the fellowship hall. We're just going to live in tents for the week. Anybody, anybody want to start this tradition every year? <laughs> I see a few husbands maybe thinking about it and saying, you know, that would be kind of fun. 
While the wives next door are saying, yeah, try it, I dare you. <laughs> but see, the, the, the Feast of Booths was more than a you-don't-know-how-good-you-have-it type of festival. That's not what the purpose was. I mean, this was a, a celebration, a feast. It was a week-long party. I mean, verse 15 even says that this is done so that you may be altogether joyful. I mean, what an incredible thought that God doesn't just give joy, but he commands it. Be joyful. Rejoice. And again, I say to you, rejoice. In in Nehemiah 8, Nehemiah takes place uh, after the exile. Israel is slowly starting their return back to the promised land after God had forcibly removed them for their sin. And in Nehemiah 8, you have this story where Nehemiah is is helping, he's leading the, the rebuild process. He's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down years ago in battle. And in this process of, of rebuilding, it was, it was painful, it was heartbreaking, it was very difficult, backbreaking work. Israel was divided, everyone sort of looked after themselves, and no one really cared for their neighbor. It was, it was hard time. And in the middle of this process, they finally start getting things underway, and they find the book of the law. They find this. And Ezra, a priest who is there with Nehemiah, and they, Ezra brings out this book. He brings out the book of the law, and he has the people all gather around him, and he reads it to them. For six hours, he does nothing but read the book of the law. And then he has the Levites go out among the people and begin explaining what this reading means, teaching them the sense, giving them understanding. And this is a book they haven't heard in decades. Decades. It is only the grandparents and great-grandparents that even remember a book like this exists. And so upon hearing it, the people are so overwhelmed by their failure to keep God's law, they are overcome with sadness and sorrow, repentance, confession. How could we have fallen so far? We've not obeyed God's law for generations. We are failures through and through. But you see, this happened, this, this reading of God's law happened during the time of the Feast of Booths. And Ezra, seeing the people weep, then turns to them and says, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Go your way, eat your fat, and drink the wine. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And all the people then went their way to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. I mean, here's a time that Israel is weeping over their sin, something that the prophets were longing for them to do for generations. And they finally start doing it. But it comes at a time when God says, this is a holy time and you are commanded to be happy. You are commanded to be joyful on this day. So Ezra the priest rightly says, stop crying. Go eat a steak and drink a good glass of wine and have a party because God is good. I wonder how often we need to be told in similar words, stop weeping and be joyful. I mean, don't get me wrong. Scripture says that we should weep over our sins. We should confess them out of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. But there's a time and a place for weeping and a time and a place for rejoicing. And don't get lost in the sorrows of sin and the burdens of life that you forget to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. 
After all, I mean, he is he has forgiven your sins. What better reason do you have to rejoice than this? So rejoice. I mean, these three feasts were so integral to Israel every year that it was more than a tradition. These festivals defined them. And they did it to remember. They, they remembered the, the God that saved them from Egypt by killing a spotless lamb instead of their firstborn sons. They remembered that God is the giver of all good gifts and that he alone provides the harvest and that his law is good. They remember that God brought them safely through the wilderness and into the promised land. And, and so they rejoiced over his faithfulness. They rejoiced in this remembrance. But you see, if we stopped here, and we could stop here, if we stopped here at the end of Deuteronomy 16 with only understanding what Israel used to do, then we have missed the purpose of these feasts. Because the purpose of these feasts was not so that Israel would just continually to look backwards, but it was given to them so that they would anticipate someone coming. Each and every one of these feasts pointed forwards, not just backwards. Let me show you. So consider the Passover, the unleavened bread. To save Israel from Egypt, God substituted a spotless lamb in their place. And this lamb had, could have no spots, no blemishes, no broken bones. It must have been pure and undefiled. Listen to the, old, the words of the New Testament writers when they speak of Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, For Christ is our Passover lamb and has been sacrificed. Peter in 1 Peter 1 says, Knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. John the Baptist said in John 1, Seeing Jesus, he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus, in every respect, he was without sin. John then writes in Revelation 5, when he's given this vision of heaven, he says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And just like the Exodus, the, the blood covered the doorpost, the destroyer passed over Israel. In Christ, by his shed blood, you and I are redeemed. We are rescued from the destroyer. We are rescued even from death itself. Ephesians 1, Paul writes, In him, in, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And this blood doesn't cover our homes, but it covers our lives. It covers our hearts. It doesn't just free us from foreign oppressors and slave masters. It frees us from sin and death completely. It frees us from ourselves. Christ is our Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb. Then you have the unleavened bread. Preparing for it, removing every crumb of yeast and leavening agent from your house. This is an impossible task. And if you don't believe me, why don't you go home this week and try it? But this impossible task of, of countless hours backbreaking work, I mean, even then, how could you make sure that you got every trace and every crumb? But the purpose of this unleavened bread, unleavened bread week was to show us that if we cannot clean our homes from every crumb of leaven, then how could we possibly think that we can clean our hearts from every crumb of sin? It can't be done. That was the purpose of the festival, to teach and show this impossibility. That we can work and work and work and work and work. And there still remains a crumb, a flake, a trace. And the smallest amount will work its way all the way through again. 
This is, this is why we need Jesus to be our Passover lamb. Because we can't free ourselves from sin. We can't work at it. It doesn't matter how much we work. We will never be free. We will never be good enough. You will never be holy enough. Ever. But Jesus, the bread of life, as he told his disciples, this Passover lamb, died to forgive your sins. And now, by his spirit, works within you to remove one crumb after another after another sanctifying you into the image that he has made you. He is the Passover lamb. He is the bread of life. We have the Feast of Weeks. Here we have a a celebration of the harvest, the giving of the law. In Greek, the Feast of Weeks was referred to as Pentecost because it was 50 days. Pentecost might be familiar to some of you because it's fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Jesus had died, he resurrected, he ascended to to heaven to sit on his throne. And then he tells his disciples before he goes to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Spirit, until you receive power from on high to equip you and enable you for the work that you have to do. So the disciples wait. We know that Jesus walked with his disciples 40 days after resurrection, which happened at Passover. So after resurrection at Passover, he waited 40 days. The disciples then wait ten days longer, and the Holy Spirit comes. The Spirit of God falls on the disciples. There's this rushing wind. There's flaming tongues. Power from on high as God himself now dwells, not alongside, but within his people. You say, well, how does that connect to the Feast of Weeks? That's not really the same thing. It just happened at the same time. Because... Feast of Weeks, remember, was a celebration of two events, the harvest and the law. This is also a celebration of two new works that the Spirit does. There is a new harvest, a better harvest than that of grain. But on the day that the Spirit falls, and in Acts chapter 2, Peter and his disciples go out into the streets and they preach. And 3,000 souls are saved on that day. 3,000 people believe in Jesus for salvation. 3,000. This is not a harvest of grain. It is of something far more valuable, more precious to the Lord. And ever since that day, millions of souls have continued to be reaped, have continued to be harvested by the Spirit moving through the people of God in the proclamation of His Word. Feast of Weeks also points us to a new giving of the law. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't change the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. And he told his disciples that not one jot or tittle would be removed, would be abolished, but he would fulfill it and that it would stand forever. But as you read through the Old Testament, as you read through Israel's history, one thing stands out about their their relationship with God's law. They couldn't keep it. And it's not that they didn't want to or they didn't think they needed to, but that they physically and spiritually were unable to. They couldn't do it. They lacked the ability to keep it perfectly. But with the Spirit, with God dwelling within His people, there's this new covenant. Hebrews 10 says, The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then the Spirit adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
You see, with the forgiveness of sins in the Passover lamb, with the removal of sin in the bread of life, we now have God's spirit, the spirit of Jesus, living and dwelling within us, forgiving our sins, and now we have the freedom to obey the law of God. You have the ability. Not because it resides within yourself, but because the spirit now resides within you. God obeys his law through you. Finally, we have the Feast of Booths. The wilderness years were special because while Israel lived in tents, God also lived in a tent with them. God tabernacled with them in the tabernacle where the Spirit of God would come down and dwell within this tent among his people. But in Jesus, we have God not in a tent, but in a body tabernacling with us. This is what John 1 says, that that God became flesh and dwelt among us. In Greek, the literal word is he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us in a body like us. And this is why we celebrate him at Christmas as Emmanuel. He He is God with us because only God himself could do what Jesus did. Only God. There is no other way. Jesus wasn't just some superhuman who just did really well. Because even if that were true, he still would have failed in some way. If he is anything less than fully divine, then he cannot save you and me. But if he is anything less than fully human, then he does not represent you and me. Now, he is both God and man, and as God, he can accomplish, and as man, he can be our substitute. But again, this feast still points forward. Even today, it points us forward. Because our king has promised to return. God will once again tabernacle with his people. In Revelation 21, John says that he sees this. He hears this from the Lord. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The Feast of Booths still points us to that day. When God will once again dwell with us. And when he does, there will be no reason for sadness. There will be no reason for mourning. Just as they were, as Israel was commanded to rejoice on the Feast of Booths, we will rejoice when he tabernacles with us again. What a day to look forward to. What a day to live in anticipation of. Holidays are special times of remembrance. They remind us of, of special moments in our past, moments that have defined us and identified us. But there is no greater holiday than these which point us to Jesus and to his future return. So church, remember, the Son of God, your Passover lamb, sacrificed to save you. Church, work. His spirit is dwelling within you, removing every crumb of sin from your heart. So work in his power and not your own church wait wait for our god because he will once again dwell with us pray with me father thank you for your word and for these commanded feasts 
help us to live in light of these. Help us to live in, in light of their fulfillments in Jesus. God, you ransomed us. Jesus, your blood was shed for us. Spirit, you now dwell within us. We are your people, and you are our God. Help us to remember and help us to anticipate the great works that you have done and the works that you have promised to do. Make us holy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we, as we do here uh, every week, we respond to the preaching of God's word with a festival of our own. And as Ron is at the back, if anyone needs any of the elements, just raise your hand, he'll bring them. Uh, but just a few words of instruction before we, before we come to the table. If you're not a believer, have not professed faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins, have not repented of sins, if that's not you, then I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I want you to be here to hear this, this message of truth from God's word. There's no greater place for you to be. But let me at the same time encourage you that this is just a tasteless piece of unleavened bread and grape juice. It doesn't save you. And so don't take it if you're not a believer. If you're not a believer, this, this does nothing. Because this, for us as believers, this is a remembrance. This is our festival. This is our holy day. This is a taste of what's to come. And so for you, a non-believer, I would ask that you not take this, but take Christ instead. Because he saves, and he redeems, and he purchases, and he forgives, and he is great and worthy to be praised. I invite you to see him as he is, seated on his throne, the lamb who is slain for you. And repent and be forgiven. If that's you and want someone to talk to about it, are curious about more information about it, just let me know as you leave today. We'd love to talk to you about it. Believer, if, that's, if, if you're here and you are a believer, whether you're a member of the church or not, if you're a believer, you're welcome at the table. Because in this table, we celebrate and remember what Christ has done in the past, and we remember and celebrate and anticipate what Christ will do in the future. And so we come to the table, and first we see the bread. This unleavened bread, yet pure and undefiled. No leaven, no yeast, no sin. And in this we are, we are reminded that the body of Christ, the life of Christ was perfect and without sin. And yet he died for us, sinful people. The body of Christ broken for you. Then we turn to the cup. And the cup representing the, the blood of Christ. We remember our Passover lamb. The blood that was shed that covers us. We remember his unstained, unsinful, perfect life. His righteousness now attributed to us as his blood covers us. We remember his spirit dwelling within us, working in this salvation among us, sanctifying us, making us like him. And we anticipate the day where he will return and tabernacle with us again to our king.
God is good. Let's let's sing one more song before we end our service this morning. Hymn 560. I love to tell the story. Will you stand and sing with me? Those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. It's true. Our benediction uh, this morning, as it is every week, is printed there in your bulletin. The Great Commission. Before Jesus ascended to his throne, he gave his, his disciples and us one final command from his law. So I invite you to say the Great Commission aloud with me. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace.